Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Tell It Abs It Is podcast, your home for everything Colorado Avalanche on the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your hosts, Griffin Youngs and Christian Boulay. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Griffin Youngs, joined by Christian Bollet, as always. You know, we, we were complaining last episode, like, man, there's really not a whole lot to talk about right now. And for better or worse, wish granted, because there's now a couple things to talk about with this team as the offseason moves on. And the first order of business that we were hoping for this offseason was to get an answer on Gabe Landeskog. We got it. It's not a good one, though. Uh, Gabe Landeskog will not be back next season, or at least at very least the regular season, but he is having cartilage replacement surgery. He had it today at the time of recording this and reportedly was successful, but the word cartilage replacement surgery, like, that just makes me wince like, ow, my God, where are they taking the cartilage from? <laughs> like, is it, no. is it from, is it from another human body? Like, cause I know they do that with like ACLs. They'll do like donor ACLs and like, donor cartilage but i i wonder who's where if they're taking the cartilage from somewhere else because here's the thing about cartilage it doesn't grow back it doesn't heal it just festers and like you said that was not the news i was planning to waking up and seeing um but at least we have an answer with it now yeah we don't have to play this wishy-washy game all year again yeah, it's actually kind of nice right now to to have an answer going into the offseason, knowing that they're going to have that money to make moves in the offseason. It sucks. Absolutely. It 100% sucks that Gabe Landeskog is not going to be back at all in the regular season next year. He hasn't closed the door on the playoffs, but I am not getting my hopes up for that at all. I'm just going to assume he's not going to be available. I'd give that a 1% chance he plays in the playoffs. Yeah. I, that may be high, honestly. <laughs> I highly doubt he's going to be available game one of the playoffs. I just don't I don't see that happening. But it's nice to just have a release instead of just having this hang over our head like it did from game one last year, where we didn't even know this was a thing until October. I swear to God, we came on here at least every other episode being like, yeah, but when they get Gabe back, though, it's just it's going to be so much better. Now, you know. What the Dude. team that they are going to run out there 
on in mid October is going to be the team that they have. Dude, I was still going like, can you imagine what this team would be like with Gabe in game seven of the playoffs? <laughs> Even when I knew he was out, I was still thinking like, can you imagine this team with Gabe Landeskog? Like they would be so fucking good. Yeah. We're, we're at the trade deadline. Talk like one of the verbatim conversations we had is like, yeah, I don't expect them to do much because their trade deadline acquisition is going to be Gabe Landeskog and adding him back to the lineup. It's just, we don't have to have that conversation anymore. No. We know the answer. It's a bad answer. It is the worst case scenario, basically, or at least very close to the worst case scenario. And it sucks because this team, I think, needs him still. But it, they desperately need him. They, desperately like they, need him. they need Gabe Landeskog. And like you said earlier, I've never heard of this surgery. I didn't even know this was a thing. Um, but the only other like athlete who's had it done is Lonzo Ball and the Chicago Bulls. And uh, Lonzo Ball hasn't played in two years either. So... Yeah. It's not like the greatest news uh, that the player who's gotten it, who's a high-level athlete, hasn't played yet either. But I'm hoping this is almost kind of like a Jack Eichel situation where it's an experimental surgery, but it it works wonders. Yeah, and uh, our guy Raj had Mark Mathot on his show the other day talking about how he went through a similar procedure and just was never really able to recover again and get back to high level playing. But one of the things that Mathot brought up is that everything hurt, like bending over hurt, sitting down hurt, standing up hurt. One of the things I remember from April about Gabe's press conference is that through the day to day life, it's really not that bad. It's just getting on the ice and skating that he just it's been a hurdle that his knee just can't handle. So that to me says that what Mark Mathot was suffering through was like chronic and much, much worse. This at least gives me some kind of hope that now that this is done and you have like a pretty lengthy and gruesome recovery about to go on right now, that you hope for Gabe that once next next season rolls around and he's had pretty much almost two years to recover that you hope that he can go back to, or at least close to that level for the rest of his contract. Yeah, I would. It's based off of his press conference yesterday. It doesn't sound like retirement's even an option right now. No. And which, for a guy, for a guy like Gabe Landeskog, never like he's, yeah. he's just not that kind of guy. He doesn't think like that. His yeah. mindset is always going to be optimism and leadership he's not going to put out that language that he might be done he's never going to allow his brain to go there and he fully i believe that he believes that he fully thinks that he can come back 100 percent. yeah i do too it's just when you're like these are two years of his prime just gone like we're, we're talking prime gabriel landeskog and Still, the craziest part to me is the fact that he was so fucking good in that last playoffs, and he was doing it on one leg. We <laughs> had we had two seasons of Gabe Landeskog after he allegedly suffered this injury in the bubble. So we had two playoff runs with him, and one of them, obviously the Stanley Cup run, he was phenomenal in, and he never <laughs> practiced because he just had a maintenance day every time. Like I cannot even imagine the agony that guy was going through in the playoffs. Yeah, like it's it's crazy to think that this injury has cost him now. It'll be two years, potentially three. And he played 
how many games, 20 games in the playoffs and was one of the Avs' best players on like, one leg. Like, if not for the superstardom of Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon, could have been in the Cotton Smythe conversation. Yes. I, I just had a horrible thought cross my head. Can you imagine how much more horrible this conversation would be if we didn't win? Oh, it, we would be so much more depressed. <laughs> like, just in, it would be just in general, like yeah. generally depressed. Like, can you imagine worst case scenario? We blow that three one lead to Tampa. Oh, I don't even want to think about it. But we don't have to think about it because it didn't happen. You have a championship banner hanging over your head, so we're good. Um, but it it is amazing that he was able to play those games with everything going on, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed that it's going to be a successful surgery his knee finally gets better and he's able to play again because like we said this team needs Gabe Landeskog they need him right it's it's no ifs ands or buts Gabe Landeskog is he may not be the most talented of the players for the abs but he is the most important yeah without question Landeskog is just one of the glue pieces on this team and even with not having him, I think it's going to maybe help guys in the room to know that like there's no false hope anymore. It, like, it's not just going to be you're going to see Landeskog out there and suddenly he's walking through that door to save you. Because like I was saying, now you know your team. You know who your team is going to be in October. And even if guys get hurt, you're you're not just magically going to have the savior Landeskog walking through the door. And one of the interesting things I wanted to talk about with this and this procedure is that this was first presented to Landeskog back in September, but he elected to go through the rehab process. And I, I've seen a little bit out there of like, oh, why did he do that? What a bad choice. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. Go back to September and imagine you're Gabe Landeskog and you're being told you can either get this surgery right now that guarantees you miss this entire season. 100% takes the regular season and the playoffs completely off the table and jeopardizes early next season as well. Or you can go through a pretty brutal rehab process that might get you back to playing this season and at very least might get you back for the playoffs. You tell me you're Gabe Landeskog, defending Stanley Cup champion and captain of this team, what you would take. He would take the rehab all the time. Exactly. It, it, it's like the doctors told him and they thought that that first surgery was going to fix the problem. And like you said, hindsight's twenty twenty. Of course, now we look back on it and it's like, damn, we could be having Gabe Landeskog back next season if he would have just gotten the surgery. But according to the doctors and what they were telling him, this first surgery should have fixed the problem. And it didn't. And that's just, that's life. Yeah. And it's... He made the decision based on the information that he had. Like I feel like that's been a lot of this conversation about Landeskog over the last year is the decision we've had available to us at the time. And, you know, a lot of the conversation around like, oh, the the, the abs lied to everybody that they knew he wasn't going to be back. Like that, that was never the case. It's like we never really had a timeline on Landeskog. But the hope was always that he was going to be better. And I think one of the frustrating parts for Gabe, like I mentioned earlier, is like he mentioned back in April when he announced he wouldn't be back for the playoffs, is like the the day-to-day, he generally does feel fine. But it's just getting back onto the ice that is such a hurdle for him that has to be so infuriating. Like, yeah, you don't want to be in pain in your everyday life, but he's not able to play. And feels fine throughout the day. Like it's got to just be absolutely maddening for him. I, 
I can't even imagine going through it. I just can't. Like it, it's I'm also here we are sitting on our couches talking about this. So it's it's uh I can't imagine being a high level athlete. People are depending on you and everything you're trying is just not working. Like I can't imagine how frustrating and discouraging that has to be. But what I what I've really like appreciated from the abs this time around is the transparency they're having with this. Like we don't have to have that, like, Oh, it could three months. Like we don't, they didn't give us a timeline, which I, I would rather not get a timeline and then just be happily surprised <laughs> if something happens. So it was, it was encouraging to have it that way. I also just find video press conferences to just be the funniest thing. Like they, they still just crack me up yeah, when it's like, like on everyone's Zoom. on zoom and they're like, all right, here's important news. I'm like, that's just funny to watch a, a Zoom press conference still in 2023. Yeah, I love those. They're, they're they're so, I don't know what it is about that. I don't know if they're awkward or it's just, it seems so strange, I guess. I don't really know how to describe it. But I don't either. They, they're they just so awkward. And like fucking Chris McFarland's just wearing like a hoodie. And I'm like, I honestly respect brother. Like I, I, I would do the same shit. So yeah, and like Landis Scott is just like in his house. Yeah, like hey babe, I gotta go do this press conference. Um, keep the kids away, keep the dogs from barking. Like it, it it'll all be good. Just give me like twenty five minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's this whole situation is a bummer, and I mean, you see that news and you go, "Fuck, god damn it!" That's obviously the news you don't want, but you have an answer. That was the first order of business for this offseason. Like before you can really do anything, you need an answer on Gabe Landeskog on if if he's going to be back next season or not. Unfortunately, the answer he is not. But that does give you room to work with. And now you have that that vaunted seven million dollars that we could just not touch last season because we didn't have an answer and didn't know if he was going to be back. You don't want to fuck around with the salary cap. Now, you know, he's not going to be back. And that does open some interesting avenues for this team in the offseason to fill the holes at second line center and fill out a lot of their depth because $7 million is not an insignificant amount of money. It's not. It, it, it's it, it's a lot of money. <laughs> like that's that's at least two quality forwards right there. Right. At least. Right. Like and that opens the door for Evan Rodriguez to return opens the door for a quality second line center to come in and also potentially a quality third line center to come in as well and still have money left over to, to fill out your third and fourth lines with cheap guys. It, it doesn't solve all of your problems, but it does make it a lot easier than having say a timeline where Landis Scott comes back in like March and you have to go through pretty much 75% of the season with a roster built to be missing a player. Which is what they did last year. Right. Like that, that's what the Avs did last year. They they built the roster anticipating to add seven million dollars back into their back into their uh their cap hit. And then this year it's gonna be a totally different approach. And I think we're going to see the Avs be very aggressive this offseason. We I are going that. to see some aggressive moves from the Avs, which typically isn't their move, but I think they're gonna find a way to to land some of these players. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how they approach this offseason because the free agent market's not the best, you know, no. and the the centers that are available, I'm not super crazy about. The only one I see out there, the big name that I like is Ryan O'Reilly, 
I think he could be fine. But then we're talking about like the Max Domi's of the world. Again, I just don't see the fit here. It's a, I don't either. It's a but the very, thing that scares me about O'Reilly is he's 32 and right. he had a down year this year. Uh, is that is it just a down year or is he going to bounce back? I, we, we don't know. Right. So like when I'm doing research for this stuff and looking at a lot of players, I look at the final list. And I'm like, huh, that's not a lot of top six players that I really like for this team right now. And I mean, obviously there's familiarity with Ryan O'Reilly, but he's 32 and has been good with the Leafs, but it's been a very small sample size because he was hurt for most of the time. And the sample size you do have from this season when he, when he was in St. Louis, there were parts of this year where he was outright terrible, like just not doing much at all. He's looked good and rejuvenated in Toronto and looking like he's playing a good role, but are you confident enough in that to sink Five million plus with term. I think that's what scares a lot of people about it. I really do. Um, that's why I think it's it, it's if the abs are going to make a big splash, it's going to be a trade, in my opinion. But that's but also the thing is it, we don't have anything don't, to trade. You yeah. don't have a lot. You ha- you have both of you have your first round pick this year and your first round pick next year, both of which I think are firmly on the table to get traded for the right thing. But you don't have any seconds. And you don't have any thirds until 2025. And your prospect pool is not great. So if you're trading any one of those important names like a Jean-Luc Foody or an Oscar Olauson or a Sean Barons or anyone like that, it's a significant blow to your prospect pool. Even trading that first round pick is a significant blow to your prospect pool. But also it's the question of helping yourself now versus in the future which is more important now that you have this money opened up you want to focus on the now and you want to focus on the now and i always just look back on pittsburgh like they didn't have a first round pick for like 15 straight years like it's costing them now but they had like 16 years where they were legitimate it's, cup not, co- it's not costing them that much though they just built a shitty team this year from yeah. a stupid gm who doesn't know how to build hockey teams and if they get the right guy in there they can very much just be back yeah, they could. And that's what I'm saying. Like, like the Caps, they, they draft, but they, I can't remember, like, a prospect that stayed with the team. Not well. I mean, the last couple that they've hit on, like, but they've drafted well the last couple of years, but none of them have blossomed into right. the stars yet. Like, we'll see on McMichael and LaPierre and Protus. Faravari's their last hit. They got him in the second round. But the, the other ones, like, we're talking Jacob Vrana and Andre Burakovsky. Burakovsky was in the 20s, I believe. I think he was like a 24th overall pick, but Vrana was the year they missed the playoffs. And great player, but outside of that, they haven't, even when they have held on to their picks, they haven't really hit them, but they're still sticking around. You can find a way to compete even if you don't have a lot of draft picks. And just getting back to the whole conversation on the trade market is when you're trying to find a second-line center, you have to also remember that you're getting him from a team that would still very much like to have a second line center unless they're actively going to be tanking going into next year. And for a lot of those teams, most of them have already traded their good centers. So there are names on the market, not to say the abs can't do anything because they, they can, and they should, there's no reason that they should be going into next season with still questions at second line center but I am just interested to see how they're going to approach it. 
I think they're going to be aggressive. I really do. I, I think it's going to be an aggressive offseason from Chris McFarland. I know he like no one would say the heat's on McFarland, but like the, the excuses are gone. Yeah, like it, it's the heat's a little bit on because you have this championship window wide open now and you got to take advantage of it. And right. I think we're going to see some aggressive moves from him. They won't be bad moves. I think he's going to be smart because that's every trade him and Joe Sackick made over the past five years has been a win-win trade for both right. teams. Most of the time the abs are ripping off the other team. Right. They, they're good calculated moves. I mean, I know it didn't amount to much last season, but turning, getting Matt Nieto, out of that whole situation with Dryden Hunt, it, like he he got a, a quarter from a paperclip. Like yeah, Matt, well, he got Malgan. He got Malgan for Hunt. What did I say? You said Nieto. Yeah, for Malgan, I believe. See, mixing up the trades already. Yeah, he yeah. got he got Malgan for for Dryden Hunt. It was like I was saying, like turned a paperclip into a quarter. Like yeah, quarter's not a lot, but it's a lot more valuable than a paperclip. And yeah. and Mulgan's at least turned into something with this team and could be something with this team in the future. Just didn't have a lot to work with. But even with the limited amount that this team has to work with this off season, like they're going to do something and they're going to find a way. I hope at least to bring in a quality second line center at very least to me, that's the first order of business outside of your RFAs is to see what are you doing about it? You need to do something because it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting for sure. There are some available, like you said, in the trade market, but are those ones going to be attainable for the ABS? Is right. the question because I, I, it's it's going to be interesting. Yeah, and I think they are. I mean, obviously, Nick Schmaltz. You know, we're not exactly shy about talking about the abs acquiring Nick Schmaltz. I think the only thing about Nick Schmaltz that gives me pause is he spent a lot of time on right wings at times yeah. instead of center. But if the abs can somehow find a way to do that, I would be over the moon. Columbus has two options in Boone Jenner in Jack Roslovic, who, I mean, I'm not crazy about either one as two C on Stanley cup winning team, but they're options. We've talked about other guys, Adam Henrique and Elias Lindholm, big fan of that guy. But there's <laughs> there's not a lot of bona fide, like, yes, this team is trading this second line center right now, and you can go get them because other teams aren't going to be doing it either. So you can definitely go and outbid them. I just, there's not a lot of those guys where it's just obvious. Hey, everybody. Hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. Interrupting to bring you a word from our sponsor at DraftKings Sportsbook. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook as right now new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. As we get towards the end of the first round and into the beginning of the second round, DraftKings has got you covered with same-game parlays and all of the best lines and odds you can hope for on any sportsbook. So what are you waiting for? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code THPN. New customers can make a $5 hockey playoff bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. See show notes for details at DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Now, back to the episode. There's not, but I, we'll find someone. We have all off-season to talk about that, but... Let's let's transition. 
there was a report out from Elliot Friedman today about Bo Byram and his contract status. Uh, I, I want to say I'm surprised by this report, but basically what Friedman said, and correct me if I'm wrong, is we the Avs have tried and they haven't come to anything yet with Bo Byram. Yeah, I have the exact quote, and this is uh, from our buddy Evan Rall on Colorado Hockey Now, who pulled the quote from Elliot Friedman, which says, to me, the big question is, what is Byram's number going to be? Because I think they've tried to sign him. Colorado is proactive about this stuff. They try to get guys done. So what that says to me is so far, they haven't been able to find a number that fits. That to me is the big one. How do you get a deal done with Byram? And then where are you going from there? And that's where it ends. And so it's not concrete that they have tried to sign him. He says he thinks they've tried to sign him because the abs are very proactive about that stuff. And the Byram thing is going to be very interesting because I think it can go a lot of ways because you can see them go and just offer Byram the contract right now, six to eight years at decent money because you know Bo Byram is going to be good and you're trying to avoid the massive pay hitch that you would get from a bridge contract. But also when you have Nathan McKinnon's contract doubling this season and you have Devon Tays, who's going to be up next year, can you afford to shell out that money for Byram now? Or do you sign him to a smaller contract? I'd say probably between three and four million bucks for a year or two and try to kick that can down the road. For me personally, if I was running the abs, which I never will, <laughs> I would kick the can down the road. And the only reason I say that is because there has to be a little bit of hesitation with Bo Byram with the injury history. There has to be. And it's it's just it, it's a little concerning because you need him to prove that he can play at least 65, 70 games in this league. And he has not been able to do that. Granted, this was the first year where the injury was not a head injury. So maybe that's just a one-off, but that's definitely got to be a concern, right? I think for both sides, a bridge deal just makes sense because the abs obviously want to see Byram have a full or at least close to a full season and see what he can do with that. And for Bo, I don't think it would make sense to just put put all your chips on the table and cash in on the big contract right now before you've shown what you can really do at the NHL level. And again, guy's just about to turn 22 years old. Like he's barely shown. I don't want to say he hasn't shown anything because he's shown a lot, but he hasn't had a lot of time to show what he can do so far. And a lot of that time has been cut short due to injuries, I don't think it makes sense for him to be signing that big contract right now and would make sense for him to sign a year or two contract as a prove it. And then we could be talking big money, like especially like when he turns 23, 24 and that RFA contract comes up, like the with how much talent Bo Byram has, if it all works in his favor, he could be talking about a big payday. I'm, t- I'm talking 8 million plus. And that's why I think he's going to do that. But there's also the other side of it where I can see Bo being like, hey, I haven't been able to prove it quite yet. If they offer me eight years, five million, I may take that too. I 
I just don't see how he or his agent would. Expect. No, there's no way they're going to do that. Like, I, I completely agree with you, but that thought has to go through his head. Like, do I want the long-term financial stability or do I bet on myself? And if there's anything we've learned from Bo Byram's playing style, the dude believes in himself more than anyone. And he is going to bet on himself. It's just, what's that number going to be for the next two years? Right. I I say it starts at three. I can't see it being anything less than three unless he actively takes a discount on like a one-year contract where he's making like two and a half for one with the expectation that the next one's going to be huge. Because what did was it Timo Meyer for the Sharks who signed like a ridiculously low RFA deal for one year? I believe it was him or LeBanc, I believe. And he signed a ridiculously low contract after they went to the the Western Conference final, I believe. It wasn't LeBanc, was it? It was LeBanc. He signed a $1 million contract for one year after they went to the Western Conference final. And the rumor was is that there was an extension in the drawer for January 1st that was going to kick in after this just so they could, for one year, really build that team failed horribly. And also LeBanc wasn't very good that year. So it turned into 4.725 for four years, which is not a bad contract at all, but there is precedent for a deal like that to happen. Could you imagine if that happened? <laughs> we got oh, one, he, one you million. get Bo Byram at a million bucks for <laughs> one. I, I forget buying jerseys. I'm buying two jerseys at that point. Yeah. I mean, like I, bad. It's not going to happen, but we can no. dream, right? We can no, dream. dream. What else are we? What else are we doing, yeah. as sports fans? Because is his agent the same one as McKinnon's? Is it Pat Brisson? I don't know the agent names off of the top of my head, but I'm sure Google has that answer for me somewhere. If you want to, yeah, because I, I I can't remember if it's if it's Pat Brisson or not. I, I don't. Uh, Kevin Epp. Kevin. Epp. Oh, I've heard that name before. Yeah. And he he represents Burkowski. And you said to break your own heart right there, dude. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he represents Burakovsky and Darren Helm. And his, his richest clients are Ekman Larson, Burakovsky, Silverberg, Soros. So not the most well-renowned agent, but that is Byram's agent. He shared yeah. it with Darren Helm. So, I mean, he has precedent negotiating with the Avs. So that's, that's good. I think. <laughs> I, I, think. I, I, I don't know, Matt, because remember Burakovsky got signed because he came in as an RFA and he signed that bridge deal and it was about, what, 4.5? Yeah, two years? Not, it wasn't that different from what he's making right now because he signed the three-year contract after he came here because the Caps traded him as an RFA. He signed a two-year deal, deal here worth $4.9 million and then signed with Seattle this year for 5.5. God, I miss that man. You're telling me, <laughs> but I mean, there's some stat. There is some like he said the agent has negotiated an RFA with the apps. So, and I don't remember that Burakovsky one being like a super hard contract negotiation. No, like there was I mean, no drama with it. He uh, signed it on October 10th, 2020. Okay, so he signed two deals with the apps. I remember this now. So he's we traded for him, and he signed a one year extension at 3.25 with the abs. And then got the two-year contract the season after at four point nine. I mean, so there is precedent there. Uh, I do think that the Avs are going to go the bridge deal with Byram. I think it's going to be, like you said, at at lowest three, like that. It, the number starting with a three bare minimum. 
Yeah. And the highest, I don't see them going above 4.5. I I don't see them going above four, honestly. Yeah. I, I think it's in the ballpark of three to four, one to two year. I think a two year bridge just makes sense for both sides. I think, I think 3.5 is a pretty good guess for two years. It's a good number. It's a fair number based on what we've seen and the injury history and everything two years to prove it because if he's healthy for two years and is the Bo Byron we expect him to be, that man will get paid a lot of money. A- There's a world where with the salary cap going up, he could be making more than Kale McCarr. Yeah. If the salary cap really does go up like next year, like it's rumored to after next season, that possibility exists that he might be making big money. It would also kind of stink to have uh, Rantanen and Byram be up at the exact same time because both oh. guys are going to get paid a lot of money. But that's why you sign Byram to this contract because you're maximizing that window. Yes. Yes. Because what what do you think Miko gets on his Ooh, next deal? I don't even want. I, I I think Pasternak is very comparable because what did Pasta just get? Eleven. Did he only get eleven? I thought he got eleven point five. He got eleven point two five. So right in okay. the middle. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, the salary cap's going to go up. So I think that's a very comparable contract. And Pasternak has been at a higher level for a little longer. I mean, he's been around a little longer. Yep. But you give Rantanen another two seasons to make up that gap. I, I can't see how that number is anything less than 11. Yeah. And remember how bad the contract negotiation was last time with this whole thing? It's funny because we forget because it was happening at the same time as Mitch Marner. So everyone just completely forgets that that was not the easiest one either. No, it's going to be an interesting one. That that's a way future us problem. Way future us. There's so many future us problems with this team now because you've got Rantanen in two years. You've got Devontae's next year, which is going to be a topic of conversation starting in July when they can extend him. Honestly, once once you get past Ranton and there's not a ton of super pressing issues until Kale expires in 2027. But once you're done with that one, you should be okay for a while. Yeah, and who knows what 2027 is going to bring? We we have no idea. The world might blow up by then for all we know. Yeah, very possible. So maximize Uh, the window now before we all die. Yeah. So I think we're both on the same boat with Bo. It's not going to be the long-term one. It's going to be a bridge deal somewhere in the three to four million range. And then I I think with New Hook, would you be shocked if it's anything more than two? I I think if it's even two, I'd be a little surprised. Yeah. I think I think two mil is the the max I'm willing to do. Yeah. I, I don't see that being a multi-year. I think that's just a one year, one point five, two million dollar deal as just like you gotta prove it this year. Yeah. You really gotta prove it. And I think they're going to keep him. Uh, there's been that debate, like, are they going to trade Alex Newhook? He's a bust and he's going to do all that. There's still something there with Alex Newhook. Just because he didn't progress a lot this season doesn't mean there's nothing there. However, you are not putting him at 2C this season. That conversation does not exist this year like it did last year. That is off the table for Alex Newhook to be your second line center this coming season. That We tried to plan for that, see if we could ease him into that and try to get it for him this coming season after trying him out this year, it failed. Didn't did not work at all. Not to say he can't do that, but for this coming season, if that is your plan, I don't know what to tell you. But there is something there with Newhook. There is talent there. And 
we forget like he is still young just because he's not Cole Caulfield and immediately not destroying people off the bat. Like he he's in a pretty solid draft class, even if it wasn't super top heavy, there was a lot of guys in new hooks draft year that you look at and you go, oh, why isn't new hook? Any of these guys, like why, why isn't new hook Trevor Zegras or Matt Boldy or Cole Caulfield or anyone like that. I mean, he's still a good player. And I think that he has a future with this team you can also maybe chalk it up to a sophomore slump that maybe he wasn't the greatest this year. But it's also, you look at Newhook and he he's still creating chances. It's not like he was abysmal this season. And I remember a couple of months ago, we we're talking like, Alex Newhook is only behind Rantanen for even strength goals this year. And he didn't get a lot of ice time. You give him a clearly defined role on the th- the third line at center or on the wing, I don't think it makes that big a difference. I, I'd prefer the wing personally, and you find a more established third line center. I'd prefer new hook on the wing, but you give him a role and he sticks with the role all season. I think we'd be surprised on what that can do for a player. We just talked about Burakovsky all that long ago in Washington. It was just an up and down nightmare of top line, fourth line scratched, second line like he was never able to get comfortable second he comes to the Avs, they stick him on the second line and he stays on the second line and all of a sudden he blossoms into the burakovsky that he should have been the whole time i think if you can do something like that with new hook for a young player that's now been with the team for a while i think that can do him a lot of good but he for a contract like we're talking about right now i don't i don't see any higher than two million i was just laughing at the fact that uh burakovsky stayed in the top six because that dude was just near the end with his abs tenure it was like is he playing fourth line he's playing first line we don't fucking know <laughs> yeah like by, by the time he actually started to go up and down in the lineup he'd actually like developed into a consistent yeah. enough player that it wasn't a problem but when he first came here it was a, it's a big deal for a guy to just have a role and even if he has a bad game he's not gonna get scratched because of it so i think if you just give new hook a role and it just stays that role the entire season. And because he was on the top line with Rantanen and Houdon in December, I'm sure that does wonders for your consistency with your line mates and everything. But w- when we did see him at his best, it was when he was with Logan O'Connor and Andrew Cogliano. Right. And that stayed his role for like a 10 game stretch. And that was probably the best we saw Alex Newhook. Consistency. He was able to get comfortable with his line mates and not saying Newhook is totally free of blame this season because he okay. was not great in the playoffs and there were several stretches in the season where he was just not very good at all. I mean, I I really thought he was better last year than he was this year. But even still, he's shown enough flashes that unless you're trading him, it's, it's the new Sam Gerrard conversation again, unless you're trading him for a bona fide piece that is going to help you for years down the line, it just doesn't make sense. You're not giving up on Alex Newhook, not at all. No, and I I think more of it as like not the Sam Gerrard, but is this Tyson Jost 2.0? Like I feel like a lot of the things we're saying about Newhook were the same things we said about Tyson Jost, and there is a little bit of concern there. There is. I just I think there's way more talent with Newhook than there ever was with with Tyson Jost. It just even in the early parts of their play, Newhook has just shown me more talent than than Jost did early in his career. And it's I think it's just too early to make that comparison yet. Because you also look at it as 
usually for a guy this age, even for first round picks, they usually don't even turn out as good as Alex Newhook has been with the Avs so far. Right. Sometimes these guys are just absolutely nothing, as we saw with Martin Kaut, even with this team. At least you're already getting 159 games from Alex Newhook, and he has 66 points in his career so far. It's not like this guy's terrible and he's a bust. I think there is a lot more with him, but it's not cute anymore this coming season because now it's your third year. And, you know, your first year, pretty good, promising prospects, solid defensively. Second year didn't really wasn't really much different from the first year. But, you know, it's one year. The third year, if it's the same again, very different conversation next year. Speaking of Tyson Jost, he is a free agent this year. How funny would it be if he came back? <laughs> There'd be a lot of very happy abs fans. There'd be a lot of very happy abs fans. And I actually don't think I'd hate him on the fourth line. I don't think I would. Like, he was solid when he got to Buffalo. Yeah. I don't think he's going to leave Buffalo. But he, he, he could be an interesting option in the offseason. I, I, I think it, no matter the contract the Sabres offer him, I think he'd be crazy to turn them down. Oh, now, yeah. now that he actually has like a place where he wasn't just awful in because Minnesota was a nightmare for him. Now that he's actually in a place where he has a role and is not hated by everybody, (laughs) no matter if that contract isn't as much as he's hoping, just having a place to stay is going to do wonders for his career. I hope he, because I imagine he'll sign with them, but I could totally see a world where like the Sabres are, like competing next year and they make a splash at the trade deadline. And Tyson Jost is just the perfect, like throw in player for that. Yeah. And I, I, I don't want that for him. Well, but, the Sabres just have so much cap space. They can just yeah. do whatever they want. Yeah. The Sabres kick ass. I, I'm, I'm jumping on that bandwagon right now, but that's, that's two of the RFAs. Dennis Mulligan's an RFA. I don't imagine him going anywhere either. Uh, I, I think he signs like a one year, $1 million deal. Yeah. I, I think that's that. what he gets. Yeah, I mean, there's also the possibility the Avs just don't qualify him, but it's something I talked about during the regular season. Is just Dennis Mulgan's the kind of guy that you're going to need cheap options in your bottom six and guys that you know have the potential to score. And if you can get him at under a million dollars, which I think you can, then I I would like to have him back. Obviously, he didn't show a whole lot in the playoffs, but if you can just have a guy who you know that every five games or so has the ability to put a puck in the net. You're not going to complain about that. No, not going to complain. So we're interested. I'm interested to see what his is going to be. Cause I, I do agree. I think the abs are going to sign him. I just, I'm interested to see what that cap hit is yeah. because last year you kind of got hit with the, uh, the Stanley cup championship tax with guys like Cogliano guys like Darren Helm. Like you paid them a little bit more than probably their value was. And this year you don't have that tax. This like, right. it, it should be a little bit better. Yeah, honestly, I think that if there are guys on this team coming back, like they're not going to be super expensive. Like if if you're bringing Lars Eller back, like there's going to be no like a one point five mil. I, I, that's a nine hundred thousand. Yeah, I completely agree. Like and Cogliano, I, we don't know if he's going to play, but if he does, he, he play, should, he should be fine. McFarland said it's a like a two month recovery. Yeah, at right now. So well, he just had another kid. Like he he could retire. We don't know. Could. Yeah, I, I doubt he wants to go out like that but he could and he's he's not going to be more than a million for yeah. sure i mean if if he does not retire and comes back to playing hockey i 100% see him staying cuz he's especially when you don't have landeskog this season you need some kind of leader 
in the room. And Cogliano, like, it's not a secret that he's been a very important part of the culture ever since he was acquired and is an important guy in the locker room. So if you can bring him back under a million bucks, maybe even a little less than that too, just to be a guy on your fourth line and to be a calming presence in the room, because let's face it, Nathan McKinnon and Miko Ranton are not exactly a calming presence. Those two are very, very intense people, which is good at sometimes, but you also need your Landeskogs and your Coglianos to balance that at the same time. So if he does come back, I think he likes it here. I think we like him here. And that just makes sense to bring him back another time. Hey, everybody. Hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. Interrupting to bring you a word from our sponsors at Raycon. If you're anything like me, you've been asking yourself the question of what is wrong with headphones today? Why is everything so expensive? Why does everything sound so bad? And why does it just never fit in my ears? But thankfully, our sponsor today at Raycon has got you covered. Raycon is premium audio at the perfect price point, so you can listen to what you want, when you want, without breaking the bank. Raycon believes that you shouldn't have to pay an arm and a leg for quality sound and essential smart tech listening features. You can get a pair and a spare and still pay less than you would with some of those other big name tech brands. They have easy and free return guarantees. And best of all, they've got plenty of features. Three customizable sound profiles, noise isolation, crystal clear call quality, and eight hours of playtime on their everyday earbuds and their water and sweat resistant. And what I love the most, they fit. They've got custom gel tips for the perfect, most comfortable in-ear fit. What a crazy concept. Headphones that actually fit in your ears. So what are you waiting for? Go to Raycon.com THPN today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's by Raycon.com THPN to score 15% off. Now, back to the episode. We'll see. Like we said, we still have like five more months of doing all this preview shit. We've got so much to talk about. Yeah, let's let, let's transition um, to the news that I think all of us knew was going to happen, but there was a part of us deep down that was like, I, I won't accept this. I, and, I, just, I just tried not to let myself think about it as a possibility, even during this yeah. season. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Chicago Blackhawks win the draft lottery. They jump Anaheim and Columbus and they are going to get Connor Bedard. And I don't know if you saw what EA Sports tweeted out. They did like a simulation of his Bedard's career. They have him finishing fourth all-time in points. <laughs> Talk about crazy expectations for a kid. Yeah, ESPN like, and their reliable simulations. Well, no, EA Sports. EA Sports, not ESPN. Uh, I, what, I thought I said EA Sports. What is wrong? Why can I not speak today? I it's meant okay. EA Sports, but yeah. the podcast it's, it's, doesn't be able to talk. Yeah, it, it, it's two two companies that start with an E. Yeah. But yeah, the Chicago Blackhawks, who, um, let's face it, have only been really bad for a year. Like, been, they, like they, they haven't been great for a while, but this was the first like dark era year where, they're, where you're like, this team sucks. Yeah. The expectation is that this team is going to suck because we kind of forget that the year before, they got Mark Andre Fleury, like and Seth Jones, which didn't work out, but they thought it was going to, and they fancied themselves a playoff team. The thing about this is, is that we've seen a lot about 
rigged. The draft lottery was rigged. Now, I will start this conversation with this. I genuinely don't believe the NHL is competent enough to rig their draft lottery and get away with it. <laughs> they fuck it up somehow. You're I, right. I don't think they are actually smart enough to rig their own draft lottery and have nothing get out forever. However, my problem with this is the Chicago Blackhawks should not have had their first round pick and they should not have been eligible to get Connor Bedard. And the fact that they are and that they got him is just really gross because I don't need to remind everyone of the Kyle Beach saga, how they covered up a sexual assault of a player by a coach for 12 years, 12 years. And he's like, oh, well, they all got fired and everything. They got off with a $2 million fine and no draft picks taken away. And after the Bedard lottery, Christian, do you want to guess how much money they made from season tickets? 2.1 million. 2.5 million. No, it's 2.5 now. In an hour after the draft lottery when they got the first overall pick. So you look at everything from that saga. The Chicago Blackhawks not only got off easy, they made a net profit, which is a complete and utter joke. The NHL failed this situation horribly. Well, and... You look at teams right. like Arizona who just tested players wrong and lost first round picks. Right. Like, that was exactly where I was going with that next, where the the Coyotes, I forget exactly that situation, but like they tested players outside of the combine and they get a first round pick stripped and the Devils with Ilya Kovalchuk all those years ago, who at the time signed him to a legal contract. When they signed that deal, it was legal. But when that deal got terminated and he went to the KHL, they got fined a first round pick. And now you have the Blackhawks. Like, I, I cannot stress this enough because I still cannot believe this is true, that they covered up the assault of a player for 12 years and got a $2 million fine. Makes After, you wonder what else they covered up. <laughs> right. But also everything that came out in the Jenner and Block report of just how much this organization failed in that entire thing from start to finish. And it starts at the top two. I know the excuses, oh, management didn't know. Well, you know what management did know at their their town hall like about a year and a half ago when Rocky Wirtz is going up there and reporters are asking him about what they're going to do about this situation. And he's getting snappy and being like, we're not talking about Kyle Beach anymore. We're not going to do it. It's not happening. You know, we're tired of this. We're moving on, basically, just because they're they don't want to deal with this anymore. The exact quote is, we're not going to talk about Kyle Beach. We're not going to talk about 2010. We're moving on. This was February of last year. And this is the organization that is getting rewarded with the top overall pick. Again, don't think it was rigged. I genuinely don't think the NHL is smart enough to do that. They published the full draft lottery and everything. However, it also doesn't help that they go out of their way to make it look as suspicious as possible. They do it behind closed doors. And you have the broadcast slip up and reveal picks early. And then they say no comment. Like, we know we know it's not rigged, but Jesus Christ, guys, can you give us a bone here? It, it, it was it was very funny that they fucked that up. Like, poor Kevin Weeks. Like, you know, like, you're in TV. The producer's probably just telling him in his ear, yeah. and he's just he's just going out with it. But it was it was very funny. 
And can you imagine being a Columbus fan? I love that TikTok you sent to me. Like, I think it was yesterday. And it was just like these two Blue Jackets fans sitting there. And, and the Blue Jackets will have the third pick and it goes to commercial. <laughs> like, like, what, the, what are you fucking talking about? What do you mean we have the third pick? What do you mean? Like, the real losers of this is the Blue Jackets. Oh, because yeah. there's two generational stars in this draft. There's two. Fantilli and, and Bedard. Well, the thing is, is that you go back to that just to shift this away from the Blackhawks for a second. The Blue Jackets won their last two games, I think. Yeah, they did. Um, they, they beat the Penguins on the last day of the season in overtime even. And because of that, the Ducks got the best overall chance. Or yeah, they they lost to Philly in overtime. And then they beat the Penguins in overtime before they lost to the Sabres the next day. And that win over the Penguins gave them 59 points which is one more than the Ducks had at 58. So if they just lost that game, they would, or if they didn't take that game to overtime, because going to overtime meant the same thing because they had the tiebreaker as well. But if they just lost that game regulation, they would have had one of Bedard or Fantilli. Yeah. In this situation, they would have had Fantilli. Yeah. The Blue Jackets are the big loser in this draft lottery, without a doubt. Um, And you got to feel for Ducks fans. And they came second in the Crosby year. And they come second in the Bedard year. That's got to hurt. But it is also nice knowing that Adam Fantilli would be the number one pick in any other draft. Yeah. Any other draft, he would be the number one pick. And like, and they so, got Bobby, they got Bobby Ryan out of the Crosby yeah. draft. Like, good player, but not Sidney Crosby. And if this is anything to go off of, Fantilli's probably going to be great. Oh yeah, is he's he, going to be fantastic. Is he going to be Connor Bedard though? The I don't know. That that's going to be tough for him to follow. Do you ever think back like how much better your life would be if Sidney Crosby was on the Anaheim Ducks instead of the Pittsburgh Penguins? So much better. <laughs> your life would have been so it's that, like it's, the cats it's, could have like four cups right now. It's, it's that scene in The Simpsons where like, can you imagine a world without lawyers? And it's just a dream bubble of everyone holding hands with rainbows. Yeah. It's it's that. It's kumbaya. Yeah. But ducks, you still get Adam Fantilli, who won the Hobie Baker, scored the most points in college hockey. Like he's a damn good hockey player. He's really fucking good. You still got him, but like you said, it's not Connor Bedard. It's right. not. But if you look, take out the Chicago like ugliness and how undeserving they were of this pick, him being in Chicago is going to be better for the league. It is. Is it like like you're talking one of your biggest markets and you're gonna have one of the biggest stars in it? Like from a strictly business perspective the NHL is going to make a lot of money off of this. But now also one of your most hyped prospects since McDavid day one is a villain and everyone hates him because they want the Blackhawks to fail. And now yeah. everyone now wants to see Connor Bedard fail as a result. And I've, but I, you can argue that Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin have thrived in that. Like, like, right. But it's not, it's, Crosby it's, not the, it's not the same situation as like, yeah. this is a criminal organization yeah. that deserves to be, folded not getting a number one overall pick right now and like Sidney Crosby's hatred because is because of himself and in his younger years he was very whiny and he also wins a lot which is not a great combination for people to like you Connor Bedard's done nothing wrong but he's going to come into this team and everyone is going to root for him to fail it's got 17 he was he was a kid he was like five years old when all of that stuff happened back in 2010 he had nothing to do with any of this I I feel bad for him but yeah, I mean, going to a big market, I mean, Blackhawks fans, they make money and people are going to hate watch now. 
as it's I just it's gross. The whole the whole thing just grossed me out from the second they turned that. Co- I mean, I was texting you at like the seventh overall pick. Like this is so rigged for Chicago. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The second yeah. every single card was going up normal. I was like, this is so happening, isn't it? It is. And I didn't even know. Did you know the drafts in Nashville this year? I was trying to figure out where it was going to be, but they, I mentioned, they remember they mentioned it on the broadcast. Yeah. I was like, I had no idea the draft was going to be a fucking Nashville. Like, this is crazy. To think that's about. probably, that's probably an awesome draft. That's oh yeah. So much fun. That draft's going to kick ass, but the draft is going to be interesting. Like we can just, it is almost just like Eichel and McDavid where it's like, we know who the top two picks are going to be. Right. It's after, <laughs> it's after that where the draft is really good. Yeah. Cause after that, this is a very interesting draft. Like, is it going to be Mitch Cobb at third or is it going to be Leo, Leo Carlson that stays at third? How far is Mitch Cobb going to drop? It's going to be a very. Well, because they're projecting him. He's not going to come over for a couple years, right? Right. Well, that's also the thing is like Mitch Cobb might very well be the second best player in this draft. And it also might not be close. It might be him and it might be Bedard and Mitch Cobb in their own category, just based on everything we've seen from Mitch Cobb. But that's also the thing is like, how long are teams willing to wait for that for three years? And also it's not very big. He's like 148 pounds. Like he's got, he's really, I'm not usually a big, like size matters all that much when it comes to players, but he's got to bulk up in a big way. He will get destroyed here right now. Yeah, he will. And I, I just see Mitch Koff falling to the capitals. I just do. That is the best case yeah. scenario. That's where I, I see him fall into seven just because like I, I could see yeah, San Jose taking him because they're not even close to winning and they can wait on a player for a little bit. I, I can but, see Arizona doing it because oh, 100% they're, in, they're in no hurry to be yeah. good anytime soon. But if, and if they get Mitch Cobb out of it and hit on at least a couple of other picks before he comes over in three years, that's that's that could potentially – you never know with Arizona – but could be the first time in Coyotes history. You can say that's a scary team. Yeah, <laughs> it's true, but drafts going to be interesting. We're going to find a lot more players in it uh, as we go on. And who knows? I, I just have a feeling we're going to do all this work for like draft prep for who the abs can take. And they're going to trade the pick. Yeah. <laughs> just, and then it's going to be like fucking seventh round when we're picking again, we're we'll like, well, I got no fucking idea. Like we'll just call it good. Yeah. I mean, we have our first round pick. No second, no third, no fourth. And we have our fifth, sixth, and seventh. So if we trade that first round pick, uh, we don't even need to tune in. No. We don't, we don't even need to tune in until like the last two hours of the second day. Uh, even You don't even need to tune in at all. You'll find out from Peter who, who right. we have anyway. So it doesn't even matter. And I'm not going right. to know who any of them are. <laughs> nope. Not going to have any idea. But a lot of draft talk coming up. Let's wrap up the episode with our playoff recap so far. And I hate to say this, dude, this second round's kind of fucking sucked. Yeah, like, it's, it's been bad. It, it's been, I've watched every game, even though I said I wasn't going to, and I regret watching every game. And I'm like, none of these games are close. They're all blowouts. And it, it, that, like this, this Maple Leafs Panthers game that's going on right now when we're recording is like, that's been the closest series, but the Panthers are still up three. Right. The only series without a blowout is the only series that's three, nothing. Yeah. Like it, it's the second round's kind of fucking sucked. Like yeah. it, it's, it's, it's meh. So we're at the time of recording, the Leafs are up one, nothing going into the third period against the Panthers. We'll have to see what happens with that game. The Leafs, they look better tonight. 
you never know. They could leaf it up. And by the time you're listening to this, they could already be eliminated. So I mean, we, I mean, we could wait another hour just to see if they actually do get swept or not and come back and put that in later. Yeah, we can. We'll, we'll plan on that. So yeah. if you're listening to this and you didn't hear a cut at the end of Griffin being like, yeah, they lost, uh, we'll go from there. They're not going to win the series, but I think they can win this game. Uh, and the Panthers are going to be more than likely moving on to the Eastern Conference Final. The other Eastern Conference series has probably been the worst series just because the the Hurricanes have just beat the shit out of the Devils. Yeah. Outside of Game 3 that the Devils just randomly won 8-3, to three, which I, I, th- I think we talked about that one, didn't we? We did. Yeah. So and since then, Carolina won game four six to one. After Jack Hughes scored two minutes into the game, the Hurricanes ran them out of the building and Vanacek got destroyed. Wasn't his fault. It was honestly some of the worst playoff hockey I've seen a team play. Like you look at the the turnover battle, it was like 20 to one. Like the Hurricanes smothered them and didn't even let them breathe. To it's you almost look at it as to a point like this is a team that's kind of been through a couple of playoff battles already and a devil's team that is just maybe not there yet. They won a game seven and they beat the Rangers and they won a playoff round, which is worth celebrating. But the three games they have lost, they have gotten slaughtered in. You're gonna ask, I, I, is it safe to say that Carolina's probably the cup favorite right now? The way they're playing, I, I don't know how you could pick anybody else. The oil, like the Oilers have struggled. against Vegas this series and you want to say the Panthers because that's the fun answer but they're still the eight seed and also they beat the Bruins who choked and they're also beating a Maple Leafs team that does not look very good in this series they've just been getting handled by a very simple four check and like would you put Dallas or Seattle in Stanley Cup favorite territory like i just think it's by process of elimination the hurricanes have looked the best of any team thus far in the playoffs yeah they went maybe one game further than they should have against the islanders but they took care of business in game six and now they're getting scoring in the i mean they've still scored what 21 goals in four games this series or something ridiculous like that probably more than they scored all last year (laughs) probably And like but, the, the one game that they lost, they still scored like three shorthanded goals in and just they couldn't get a save from Freddie in that game. And then he comes back the next game and, and he's he's great. I mean, I don't want to count out the Devils just because of the Rangers series and everything. And they they have so much more to give because they've just they've just looked so bad in all three games so that they've lost this series. I don't know if Carolina wraps it up on thursday by the time you're listening to this but i have a hard time seeing them losing three in a row yeah i do too i do too so the east looks like it's going to be carolina and florida which will be a fun series that'll be a good series it'll be a fun fun series for people who watch hockey yeah as for selling that to casual fans uh the the ratings will be bad yeah they'll be bad but move over to the west uh, as we're recording this, the result of game four for Edmonton and Vegas has not even started yet. I was surprised by the game three result. I, I did not see that coming with Vegas blowing out Edmonton. I did not see that coming. Um, it's amazing what happens when you don't take penalties on Edmonton and you don't put that vaunted power play on the ice. And even though Bersois got hurt, 
Aiden Hill came in and was rock solid. He was really good. And Vegas skates away. At worst, you're split. You got home ice back. Yeah. I mean, they just absolutely handled the Oilers in this game very impressively. They give up the first goal even. And then from that point on, they just straight up ran them out of the building. Like they they give up the first goal. They get it tied. Then, then Brassois, I don't know what he did. He must have like tore his groin or something. It was like Grubauer-esque. Yeah. yeah, it looked really bad. But they come, Aiden Hill comes in and stops all 24 shots he faces, and they just beat the Oilers to submission in that second period and just completely shut the game down in the third. It's like we were saying about second round. Games kind of stink. It's yeah. just blowouts and one-sided affairs. But the interesting thing is that momentum has not carried over in like a single one. I can't look at a single series and see like, yep, they were able to carry that momentum to another win. Like Carolina won the first two handily. Then New Jersey wins the third, uh, third one handily. And then the Hurricanes blow them out again. You look at this series, Vegas won a high scoring game and then Edmonton blows them out. And then you go to Edmonton and then Vegas blows them out, which makes me think tonight Edmonton's going to blow them out because that's just how these entire playoffs have worked. But for Vegas, they're, they're digging into their goaltending right now. And they look good and they're playing well. And maybe that'll get them out of this series and maybe even to the, the Stanley Cup final. I just, I don't, if Brassois out, out, is can Aiden Hill really be the guy that does that for you? And at worst case, it's it's Jonathan Quick coming, coming in the net. So do you, do you feel confident about either one? No, I don't. I don't. I didn't feel comfortable about Brassois. Right. So, like, this is going to be interesting. Vegas is undefeated on the road in these playoffs. We'll see if they can continue that streak tonight. But if Edmonton loses this series, this is a – I don't know. Like, this team is – this team should be in the cup final. Just, like, we should be able to just pencil their name in right now. Right. And the fact that the abs are out of the way, and if they can't even make it to the Western Conference final – that's an abject failure. The path yes. is wide open for them. Like that, we should give Vegas more respect because they are a very good team. But this should be the Oilers' time. This should absolutely be the season that they 100% win the cup. There's no Boston and there's no Avs. They should be it. And maybe they should, should be. be. They're only down two to one. If they yeah. win tonight, it's a completely different conversation. But the. They have to get the job done here. They might not have a better chance than this. I agree. I agree. This has to be Edmonton's time. Um, so we'll see what happens in that game. Final game, final series in the West, as uh, basically verbatim of what's happened in the uh, Carolina and New Jersey series. There has not been a close game this entire series. I mean, game game one was close. That was the best. That was probably the best game of the second round was game one between Seattle and Dallas. Yeah. Since then. I mean, it, the game went to overtime, and he had four, yeah, that's true. You had four goals from Pavelski. That was the by far the best game of the second round so far. One of the best games of the playoffs, honestly. Yeah. But since then, especially since after this series shifted to Seattle, blowout central. We t- we were recording live when they beat them. The Kraken beat them seven to two last time, and then Dallas. I, I, apparently, it just takes them a while to get going in a playoff series. And I think that's bad news for Seattle based on how they played against Minnesota. And they, they responded very well in this game, but I, I'm not crazy about Jake Ottinger right now. He, I know he, it's weird to say he looks rough. Is it that weird? I mean, he had one good playoff series, I but I think he looks hurt. 
right now. I don't know if he was he's fantastic against Minnesota after game three. He was, but in this series, he's, he's looked shaky. He's yeah, I agree. Odd. I mean, he had the, in game one, he had 39 on 44, which is, it's pretty good. It's not terrible. It's sub 900. And in game two, he had 25 on 27. And then the last game, he gives up 12 on 17 and gets pulled for Wedgwood. And even in this game, it's only 16 on 19. And he gave up two in the third period. I think it's a real question right now is like, is Jake Ottinger going through something right now? And is that going to cost Dallas? It could, because that's really the only, like if they're Dallas is still a very good team, but you need Ottinger to be Ottinger. If right. you're, if you're going to go far, like if they do match up with Edmonton in the next round and Ottinger is not the Jake Ottinger we saw last year, that series is going to be over very quickly. That's what I'm saying about Edmonton though, is like, you have to get past Vegas here. Because you're talking about on the other side, you're playing either Seattle, very respectable, good team. Absolutely, you have to give them that credit. But also, alternatively, and a hurt Ottinger Dallas. Your path has never been more wide open and might not ever be this open again, where you're talking about Carolina or Florida on the other side of you in the Stanley Cup final. Like, this, this is it for the Oilers. It has to be, right? Has to be. So... We'll have to wait and see. Um, I don't think I have anything else for this episode, man. It, like, like you said at the beginning of the episode, it's nice to have um, something to talk about. And it, it, I had fun. Yeah, it's nice to have structure because like for last episode, like we're just making things up and going yep. on rants about things. It's nice to like have a structure and things to talk about. It's definitely something I miss from talking during the, the normal season is having things to do for the most part and not having to make up episodes, but yeah, uh, no Landis Gog for next season. going to be interesting to see what happens with Bo Byram and Alex Newhook in the RFAs and the worst possible result happened in the draft. Letter. I think it's very telling about our feelings on this thing that we had the whole Bedard to the Blackhawks conversation and didn't even mention that he's going to be in the central. Yeah. Yeah. Like, totally it just, it that. just seems, it just seems so unimportant. At yeah. the end of the day. Cause like, I really don't. If St. Louis got him, like I'd be all mad and grr, whatever. The, the Blackhawks getting him is just gross. Like just abjectly fucking gross. They they don't deserve it whatsoever. And they, they shouldn't have had that draft pick at all. It just, it feels icky and gross. I The worst case scenario with the entire thing. And it sucks. It sucks, but... Nothing else we can do about it. Yep. Just have to have to move on, uh, sadly. But <laughs> we just have to accept the fact that that's the way it's going to be. Yep, it sucks because they got away with it. Yep, they got away with the whole Kyle Beach thing. Like, oh, they had to they had to fire everybody involved with it as if they were not going to get fired anyway. Yeah, <laughs> they got they got to fire people that they were going to fire anyway and shift all of the blame off themselves. Got a paltry two million dollar fine that franchise is worth billions first of all billions with a b and they made all of the money back the second they got bedard so they did they didn't get punished at all and so they just got away with it which sucks but like you said there's really not anything we can do about it because the nhl should have done something about this a long time ago and they failed they failed the entire situation and now your best prospect since mcdavid is going to turn into one of the most hated players in the league. So, <laughs> yep. Great job. We'll go from there. 
great job from top to bottom NHL. You've done it again. Another masterpiece to be proud of because in a, in a league that just cannot get out of its own way. Yeah. It's out of their own way. So we're, we're going to wrap this one up here. Thank you all so very much for tuning in to another edition of the Teledabs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. You can still use promo code Teledabs It Is on SeatGeek for $20 off your first order of $50 or more. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow me at NHL. You can follow Christian at Christian underscore Belay. And you can follow the show at Tell It Abs It Is. But again, thank you all so very much for tuning in, and we will catch you all next time. But until then, let's go abs, baby. <laughs>